Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Wednesday morning, uh, tail end of of winter. I don't know if you're feeling a little uh, a little early spring where you are. I wore this bright green polo, Bill, to psych myself up into it being spring. Um, what is super cool is that uh, I have this deck that is covered by other parts of my house, so it's there's no wind. And if you sit out there in the sun, it feels about 20 degrees warmer than it is. So I am able to like all, if it's sunny out, I am able to pretend that it's spring. And man, I, I am not ashamed of playing <laughs> Kenny Chesney and the Beach Boys and Jimmy Buffett uh, and Bob Marley. And I'm sure my neighbors hate it. Yeah, this, uh, this, this list is getting worse as it goes along. <laughs> well, it, it's in the eye of the uh, listener, I guess the ear of the listener, whatever. Uh, you know what I'm saying. But anyway, I am a, I'm a summer guy. I'm a spring guy. Uh, I'm actually going to Miami in a couple of weeks, Bill. I don't think I don't think it's going to interfere what you and I do. Okay. Uh, but then when I come back, it's game on for spring. How about I, you, Bill? I've never been to Miami. I go to Miami at least at least once a year. I've only been to you know you know Orlando, Tampa. I've never gone south. Oh, you got Florida. it. You got to go to Palm Beach. You got to go to Miami. That's where. It's a different, like a different country down yeah. there. That's the scene. So, so what are things like uh, up in up in your neck of the woods? Well, you know, this is this is as we've talked about many times. This is sugar shack season. This is maple syrup season. Um, this is when the sap is flowing. Uh, but my kids now, if you if you're if you're going to go to the sugar shacks, these, these and these are places that open for like six weeks. And again, just to be clear for people who don't know, these are basically sex masseuse situation, right? Um, these are uh, places that sell maple syrup. Oh. And for only six weeks in the year, they're open for breakfast. Like just breakfast, you know, pancakes, waffles, bacon, eggs, not not a huge menu, not fancy. Um, these are places that aren't even outfitted to be you know, you know, properly heated over the course of a, of a year. There's, you, there's, you, you bundle up, there's enough, there's enough residual warmth from the maple syrup boiler. Uh, and you know, that's it. And this was always tradition to, you know, check out as many sugar checks as possible during this time. My kids are now at that tweeny age um, where, you know, tween slash early teenage oh where I can't get them up in the morning to do that sort of thing anymore. Uh, so uh, I, I'm, I'm missing out. I'm not getting my full quota of Western Mass maple syrup. But those who my do kids want like sort of thing should come up now. They would get up for a sugar shack. Though. I'm sure if there were like pancakes and, and syrup involved, I think they would get up. No, here's well. Here, I mean, they would go at 11 or 12, but the sugar shacks, you can't do that. You got to get their first thing. Otherwise, the line's out the door. Now, I have made the strategic error in alerting them to the existence of IHOP, uh, which is about 20 minutes from me. Uh, and it is not proper. You know, it's not pure maple syrup. And I, I, I there was an IHOP near where I grew up as a kid that I went to you know, all the time. 
And I don't know if it's because I'm older and wiser or things actually change. But I, I think IHOP is markedly worse yeah. than it used to be. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, probably gotten worse, but it, it could just be, you know, the uh, through the eyes of a child, the taste buds of a child. Um, I have to say, I, I think that the Sugar Shack idea is much more romantic and quaint and, and appealing to me than the IHOP. I do like there was a Pat Buchanan line uh, that I that I always think of where he said that Bill Clinton's only foreign policy experience comes from once having dined at the International House of Pancakes, <laughs> which, I, which I always thought was a good line. You know, they don't even have they don't have all the international dishes anymore. That was always kind of the thing, right? I did, uh, a slightly off topic, but um, uh, I recently learned that our government has something called the Waffle House rule. Do you know about this? Like if there is a tornado or a hurricane or something that hits your community. Yes, I have heard about this. The Waffle House is still open. Right. Then th I guess that means you're not a level 10. <laughs> you're still, you know, because I guess they can stay open uh, when that, when nobody else can stay open. Now, Matt, I could talk pancakes all day. And waffles. And waffles. Um, what do you like better, a pancake or a waffle? I like a pancake better. It's one of the main things about my children is that they don't agree on that, that one likes pancakes and one likes waffles. So when I'm making one, they're mad that I'm not the other. A waffle is, is crisper. It doesn't get as soggy. And there's also the little divots allow for the syrup to collect in there. Uh, which is delicious as that well. Was, that was an old uh, Mitch Hedberg joke. How he liked waffles because they were syrup syrup traps. He was you, good, man. You you ain't going anywhere. I like that guy. <laughs> he must have been. He must have been dead now for fifteen years. I don't, I, don't, I forget when he died. I'm, I'm, I I don't I don't want to. It feels new to me because these are people who are younger than me. So, uh, but I really don't remember how when, when he when he passed. Um, but I feel like we are. We are avoiding the elephant in the room here, Matt. What is that? Um, uh, your friend, Tucker Carlson, uh, continues to be uh, a, bit, a bit of an issue. Well, I, I, you may just not understand him. <laughs> I think you're being a little tough on him, but why don't you tell us what... Did you you know, I, I haven't noticed. What's he gotten into lately? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delay more. You know, I made the mistake of watching a clip of Scott Adams on Chris Cuomo's News Nation show. Wait, Scott Adams is the, the Dilbert guy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, like, it, it, I, I, I apologize. I, he, he doesn't deserve analysis, so I'm sorry <laughs> to even go down this path. Um, but... He claimed on the, on the Chris Cuomo show that we just didn't get what he was doing. That, and he thought that his, you know, podcast followers understood that he says hyperbolic things that aren't really true, just to get a conversation going and to help focus, help focus the debate. And essentially, we we we're we're essentially too stupid to understand what he was getting at. Yeah. This is the old, this is the old. Uh, hey, I'm just a comedian, man. Uh, John Stewart thing. I th this this is what really annoyed me um, 
at the rise of the alt-right and the trolling on Twitter, where it, it was this sort of plausible deniability. You could say outrageous, crazy, evil things, and then if anyone called you on it, you'd be like, you just don't get it, Normie. You don't get my humor, man. I'm just trolling. Um, and so it was this get out of jail free card. I think it's total BS. Well, I mean, John Stewart would argue at the end of the day is making jokes. Now, I think it's a fair point to say, well, you know, not really, because you're actually making a lot of serious points in the mix of what you're doing. My and show I, comes on before a show where puppets make crank calls, right. Bill. Well, that's that that was a great <laughs> line. It said to Tucker Carlson. Um, <laughs> um uh, and Dave Chappelle has tried to, you know, people try to defend Dave Chappelle on those grounds. And I, I, I disagree with that. You know, Scott Adams is, is not arguing you should discount because I didn't, because I was I was kidding. He was saying, this is part of my brilliant way that I focus your attention on what's really important, which of course is like total gaslighting nonsense. <laughs> like you could have a very rich and enlightening conversation about race relations without holding up a slipshod poll number and saying something blatantly racist about it, that that does not enhance our discussion of race relations in any way. Um, Plus, so, this guy's got a track record of of uh, crazy, weird stuff over the last five to seven years. So, I mean, it's not like out of character for him to say something like he, uh, like he finally got burned saying... I mean, I kind of suspect he was, was. I mean, he was trying to say, I, I didn't think it was going to get this bad. Yeah, you know, I, I think it was. Gonna, I, I think it was going to go beyond my audience, is what he said. Um, I think on some level, he he wanted this. He he's done double for a long time. Uh, he'd rather be a trollish podcaster than be a comic strip artist. Uh, and so, and, he, and he's getting what he wanted. I mean, I, he, he may not make as much money as he did, but I'm sure he's sitting on a giant pile of money. Uh, and he has an audience of people who actually believe his nonsense and that's good. And that's enough for him. Uh, nobody wants to do what they do. You want to be like a food reviewer for pancake houses. <laughs> um, you know, Ted Cruz wants to be a podcaster. Everybody wants to be a podcaster. Uh, <laughs> so why don't people stay in their lane? Shut up and shut up and dance. Shut up and sing. Shut up and dribble. Come on. So we have we, we, we've danced around the Tucker thing for long enough. The question is, why does Tucker do what he does? Uh, someone who presumably clearly knows better based on the text that we've seen him send in, that have been released in the Dominion lawsuit. Uh, yet he is, and this is someone I, I remember, Matt, when he started the Daily Caller where you worked and you worked with him, he sold it as a, as a factual conservative outlet that conservatives had to be better about adhering to facts. We had to aspire to have the, be of the quality of a New York Times. He said, I think he says at CPAC, if I recall. He got booed at CPAC for right. saying that, Bill. Um, and now, I mean, this is like the most slipshod uh, sophistry to take cherry-picked security footage when we've all seen like a whole lot of other security footage <laughs> that shows clear rioting, smashing of windows, trespassing, threats, um, to then cherry pick a few scenes and to say, oh, this wasn't a riot at all. I mean, 
Yeah, it you, was. You you know he's not a dummy. You know fiery, he knows better. Fiery, but mostly peaceful. Nice guy. <laughs> um, you think of anything crazy that happened. Uh, you could show, you know, there's a, I don't know. You're at an event and there's a shooting. Well, you could have shown five minutes earlier, people were having a good time. So it must, the event basically was a success. Now, there was the shooting, but by and large, people were happy. Uh, 99% of the people there went away, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's weird. Bill, the only thing that makes sense to me is, I don't know if you noticed this, but I watched Trump's CPAC speech, um, you know, from the safe confines of my house. And... He he did a shout out to different people as he does, and when he shouted, he gave a shout out to Tucker, and he got a huge applause. You know, to talk. So Trump gave a shout out to Tucker. Trump got a big applause. Tucker got a big applause. Um, now this was after Trump clearly knows that Tucker has been um, in private saying bad things about him. Right. Mm-hmm. I think now this is basically a thing where. Trump and Fox News will pretend they have created an alternate reality and they will stick with it. And so, like, the only thing that matters is what they say, what they admit to be true and what they show on Fox News. And if if it doesn't fit into those categories, it didn't happen. So Trump is going to pretend that Tucker never said those mean things about him um, because that's fake news, right? The only thing that's real is what we, you know, it ain't real if I don't say it's real. The Trump thing confused me. You know, just you know, at CPAC, Steve Bannon was taking shots at Fox News. He was he was lifting the veil. Uh, and of course, Scott Bannon, uh, Steve Bannon is essentially a media competitor. He wants people to listen to his podcast and have he yeah, wants to have his own media empire, I imagine. Uh, but I would think it'd be in Trump's interest to attack Tucker, attack uh, Laura Ingram, attack them as, you know, uh, as disloyal and to hold himself up as the as the true believer. That he, that he would have the confidence that he would hold on to his base and he wouldn't lose them to Tucker because Tucker's the one who's being, I, I, I'm sorry to be blunt here, being two-faced. Uh, so, uh, but to your point, I mean, what you're saying seems accurate that they – they're deciding it's better to they're better united than divided. And they've uh, decided that if it's only, you know, they live in this alternate universe and the only thing that's real is what they allow to be real. And what is real is what they say on air and what they say publicly. And it's a, it's kayfabe, <laughs> you know, in wrestling vernacular kayfabe, but they don't break kayfabe. Um, and if they ever get caught doing it, they pretend like it never happened. It's it's not real if it's not existing in this universe. It's very, it's very weird. Um, I do think that Trump is is going to and is and will continue to like work the refs at Fox News um, to try to make it more Trumpy. But but I don't think he has yet turned against um, Tucker, Lara, Hannity. Get back to to Tucker. I mean, he 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 has always, you know, he's never like attached himself to the hip to Trump. He's always been a bit of his own thing. Uh, definitely, I think an advocate of you know America first is Trumpism, 
but it has yeah. always what's it that? Seems like JD Vance or Josh Holly maybe the people maybe JD Vance might be the person that is most that he's been the most. Like yeah, I mean, so he likes sort of picking his favorites and elevating them. Matt Gates, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but there's sort of a, you know to the extent that. Tucker is not a total fraud. I think there, I think there is a worldview that he subscribes to that he wants to advocate for, uh, and I just don't see why it's necessary to concoct a complete fiction about January sixth to advocate for that worldview. I don't either. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I do think one that I heard Will Salatan say this on the Bulwark podcast, that it seems like Tucker is um, just sort of whatever conventional wisdom is, he's the opposite. You know, so I guess contrarian. And so in, so every night it's like they say this, but here's the reality, you know, um, that's the only thing that makes sense. But why would you want to bring up January 6th? I mean, a lot of the people at Fox News who, who watch Fox News, maybe it would be better for them to just sort of forget that it ever happened. That seems to be what the rest of Fox News wants to do is just forget that January 6th ever happened, never mention it. And mind you, um, so, Tucker so Carlson said he wanted to forget that Donald Trump ever happened based on his text. He, that's what he said in private, right? He, but I, and I assume there's a level of sincerity there. I, I think there's things he likes to talk about that he would prefer to talk about without it being filtered through the, the prism of Trump. So it'd be just his thing and not just be a lackey for somebody else. And w- constantly looking backward... Uh, at at these events, I mean, look, he he has the number one cable TV uh, news uh, talk show, and he sits on a pile of money. And I mean, this is the most successful gig he's ever had. This guy has literally had shows on CNN and MSNBC and Fox. I mean, as well as owning his own news website. Like he's had, he's worn a lot of hats. Uh, a lot of these things have ended in failure. And this is probably the most successful thing he's ever done. So, you know, I can only criticize him so much and say, I don't get what he's doing. What he's doing is making himself a lot of money. Uh, but uh, it's it's only at the expense of any sense of integrity that he has. And uh, I, I, I used to think you'd have a hard time living with yourself. Uh, I mean, he, he could make a little less money and not be so enamored to total falsehoods. Yeah, it's really weird. You know, as you can imagine, it's weird for me. I worked for Tucker for six years. I've kept in touch with him. Um, He was a great boss. I really liked him. And we spent a lot of time with him. The people who worked at the Daily Caller in later years didn't spend any time with him. Um, But during the period when I worked for him, all of the people who worked there would spend, he was like in the office every day, pretty much. And so you know, we would go out to lunch with him. Uh, and he was just a great guy and a great boss, one of the best bosses I've ever had. But I've also been away from there now as long as I was there. I've been away from there like six years. I worked there six years. Um, but it's been very interesting and weird for me to see this happen. Um, and yeah, the only thing I could say is, you know, when I worked at the Daily Caller, I intentionally uh, didn't... Um, didn't record anything and didn't keep a diary of anything because I knew someday there would be an immense temptation to use it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
because you know it was it was a like a a frat sort of environment. It was a very fun young environment, uh, and yeah, there were outrageous things said to be sure. Um, but I'm still surprised by the way everything has turned out. What's that? That's the thing that I find sort of weird about it is that I feel there there was a bit of a of a thread in Tucker's past career. Which was kind kind of frat boyish, but but fun. He's gonna be having fun doing what he was doing, uh, sort of an impish, you know, twinkle in his eye. And yeah. the Fox show is much darker. Uh, it doesn't feel fun. It feels very uh, it's it, you know us against all these evil forces that were that were battling against by sitting on your couch and watching me on TV for an hour, uh, and. I would just think that wouldn't be as much fun to do, uh, to have to do day in and day out, yeah, it, it, particularly knowing that what you're saying isn't really true. I mean, there, there's always a uh, fun to be had being the contrarian in the room. Uh, but obviously, you, you can contrary yourself into a stupor. I think you know, Scott Adams has done yeah. that and, and Tucker Carlson has done that. I want to move past Tucker, not to change the subject, but I think to the other parts of Fox News, the other Fox News story, a related Fox News story, mm-hmm. not January 6th specific, but more related to the election, mm-hmm. um, where we have, you know, we have texts and, and, and reporting and transcripts showing that um, Fox News executives and hosts like, you know, knew they knew that the new Biden won the election. And I don't know if you saw the New York Times story, Bill, where like they had this emergency Zoom meeting to handle having correctly called the state of Arizona. They had it was like a crisis for them. How do we and 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 they were basically saying, like, we we would have been better off not calling Arizona. Let someone else call it because yeah. we have to we have to coddle our our viewers. You know, it's like these snowflakes who can't handle being told the truth. We have to take them into consideration. Um and I've had a few discussions on my podcast with different media folks about it, and I, I've written about it. But the one thing that I don't think has been fully appreciated is the consequences of this, right? So like, from a journalistic standpoint, if you have invested millions of dollars in some sort of software that will let you quickly and correctly call a state before anyone else, and you choose not to, not to use it, um, because you don't want to anger your audience. Like that is an ethical problem in and of itself. <laughs> but what I think has been missing from the conversation is like by, by, um, by sort of, by not telling the Fox news audience the truth about the election because they were afraid of them. I think that they helped January 6th happen to begin with. I mean, in other words, like when you put and also when Fox News would put people, um, election deniers like Rudy Giuliani, for example, on air. And and, and not correct them and, and sort of pretend that they were had a legitimate point like that's bad in and of itself from a journalistic standpoint. But the consequences of that were, I think, perpetuating the big lie, which ultimately helped fuel January 6th. Now, I think Donald Trump singularly uh, incited that riot. But Fox News, by being afraid of their audience and not telling their audience the hard truth, contributed, I think, 
to an environment that actually led to the insurrection. I get no disagreement for me. There's a few things there that, you know, just, you know, stir certain thought, thoughts with me. Uh, you know, this one thing I learned from this is that they, they, there, there, there was actually an argument at the time of the Arizona call from some of the other, uh, you know, data nerd types that Fox was a little premature. Um, maybe they, maybe, maybe they, it all worked out for them and, and as far as their accuracy is concerned, but the data didn't quite, wasn't quite that certain when they made the call. What we learn in the, in what's been released is that they felt they had a super duper call system that they, they, they yeah. built something extra special that others didn't have. That allowed them to make that call. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they had it apparently invested millions of dollars in some new. You know, the, this is the decision desk, which was run by Bill Salmon, headed. You know, I guess sort of the, the guy implementing it was Chris Steyerwald. And remember, Chris Steyerwald is the guy who got the Ohio call right in 2012 when Carl Rove on air challenged that, and so. Steyerwald and the Fox Decision Desk have a, uh, a track record of getting getting it right and being very professional and very good at at predicting and 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 declaring states. Um, and Steyerwald was confronted, you know, by Carl Rove, who said, "Like it's too, you, you've got to change that back." And and Steyerwald stood by his guns, and Fox got it right, and they got it right again in Arizona. But it was devastating to Trump, to the narrative, right? Because, you know, if if Arizona had been held out, then Trump could have it, it makes it easier for Trump to say, when I went to bed, we were winning. <laughs> but then all of a sudden the, the election was stolen in the middle of the night. Well, not really, because Fox News caught it, um, you know, but before a lot of people went to bed. So um at least I think so. When do you remember when? I mean, Arizona is obviously three hours behind us here, or two hours depending on the season. What? What's the question? Do you remember when Arizona was called? Like what time well, of night? I, I forget the exact yeah. uh, time. Well, whatever the case may be, it was a big it was a big blow to Trump to his attempts to deceive, and so I get why he was pissed off. But the Fox News people were are now like we have this these um, transcripts of this Zoom call, like where they were basically saying. Like, you know, maybe we should have just held off. And in fact, think of the drama. If we, had, if we could have kept it open for three or four days, think of people would have been tuning in, the ratings. Yeah, and I wonder if that's not something that is unique to Fox. Uh, that all of the pressures in the media industry were, we want to be the ones to get it first. And, and be able to have the bragging rights that we got at first. And so people would feel compelled to tune into us because they would know they would learn the truth first. Yeah. Uh, that's been the game for a long time. And I wonder now if, uh, one, because there, you, have a, you have a handful of cases where uh, news organizations have, have had to retract calls. So they don't want to have that embarrassment on them. Uh, and yeah. if there's well, let, me, let me make this point real quick, Bill, because I'll forget otherwise. And I think this is very important. It is how I believe. And I know in the old I know it hasn't always been this way, but I believe it is healthy for democracy when elections are called quickly. Mm -hmm. I think it's better. If, OK, 
If you let things hang out there unclear for days and weeks, I think it's easier for someone like Trump to create dissension and undermine trust and claim that things were stolen. I think it's better when elections are clear, decisive, and quickly called. And so I don't like the idea of like postponing it for the good of ratings. Well, I actually don't I don't like the idea of news organizations sitting on information that they essentially know. Uh, but uh, I do think that there's probably going to be less interest in investing in systems that are designed to get to the results quickly because they realize there's actually money to be made in stirring up drama. Uh, now, to your larger point, this may be a little bit off topic, uh, that's been what you argue, we want quick decisions, has been arguing against mail voting because mail voting takes longer because the vote because it takes for a while for the ballots to come in and takes them longer to count and uh i would argue mail voting has been really good as far as increasing voter turnout is concerned yeah. that that, that well, to me is more important and and we can teach people hey this is because it takes a few days to count mail ballots doesn't mean that something funny is going on i don't like mail ballots um i i think most people should vote on election day um but having said that, one of the problems, as you know, Bill, is that they're not. A lot of states won't let you start counting the mail. The mail. Well, right. I mean, these things. I mean, the the conservative states that whine about this the most also have laws that make it hard to count quickly. The exception, I mean, they're, they're except Florida is actually really good at this. Um, they may ruin it. They may undo what the good that they've done. But yeah, you can make mail counting more efficient with smarter policies. Exactly. Um, uh, and so one of these days, hopefully this can be a less polarized subject that we can just, you know, come to some logical agreements on it. Um, but to, let, let me shift back to, to the Fox thing, though. One thing that sort of strikes me as strange about all this is if the Fox legal position is kind of weak, I mean, maybe they can win this thing. Maybe they can win on the grounds of, hey, you know what? Sure, people said things privately, but people are still free to express opinions and we didn't mean to defame, uh, and but, and we were within the bounds of the First Amendment doing what we did. Maybe that wins the day. I don't know. The bar uh, is high for libel and yeah. defamation. Um, but clearly, there is a counter-argument to make based on these internal communications, which Rupert Murdoch surely would be aware of. If you're Rupert, why just pay the settlement and not have all of these texts become public? I mean, this is very embarrassing to Fox. Maybe they can get away with it. Maybe because there's enough uh, incentive on between Trump and Fox anchors to memory hole it and pretend it never happened. Fox viewers have no idea that this happened. That this is happening. By and large, I'm telling you. But certainly, there's there's the risk that other conservative competitive outlets will use this. To say you can't trust Fox, watch me instead, listen to me instead. I mean, at the point where Rupert's got to make the decision whether to settle or not settle, I mean, they were worried enough to spew all these lies because they were worried about Newsmax and OEN taking their audience away. They they are concerned about losing audience, so this would seem to be in the realm of risk management to keep this stuff private and not risk their brand amongst their loyal viewers. 
it also seems built like every day more stuff's coming out. I mean, who knows what else is going to come out? Um, it's, it's the, the bleeding hasn't stopped. So, uh, we shall see. Um, I think I mentioned Trump's speech. We should probably talk about that. Yeah. The big line, obviously, I am your retribution. I've never heard anything like that. I think that that's been an explicit, I think that's been an implicit (laughs) promise of Donald Trump the whole time, but I don't think I've ever heard him explicitly say I am your retribution. You know, you know, creep me out more, more than the speech, uh, that there uh, is this music video with Trump saying the pledge of allegiance. I think it was, I think it was, I think it was the pledge of allegiance, uh, over the J six prison choir singing the star spangled banner but not just singing it like with in kind of like a soaring eagles way in this kind of like dark, you know, kind of Soviet way. Wow. Uh, and I, th- I think it was shared on Trump social media. If I apologize if I, if I got that incorrect. Um, but the one that, that a J six prison choir exists, number one, and that Trump would be encouraging people to listen to the J six prison choir. Like, wait, this is probably like the New York, PD, the NYPD choir. Perhaps it doesn't really exist. <laughs> I was upset to learn that there were no boys of the NYPD choir. Well, there, 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 there is a NYPD group that sings. It's just not. It's not called the NYPD choir. There is something that that exists that involves police officers. It's, that's not, I don't think it's an official thing. Um, well, whatever the case may be, um, Bill, these people are political prisoners. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you. No, uh, this goes back to the Tucker thing, right? I mean, the idea that that Ashley Babbitt is was was murdered, um, you know, it's just so bizarre. Like it would be one, you know, there's, and there's so many different narratives, right? Well, it was it was just peaceful. Um, it was a a picnic, but they were uh, they were stoked, invited in by undercover deep state, you know, FBI agents, but the people were heroes and martyrs and let's start a choir (laughs) to celebrate them. You know, what's also weird about the Trump speech though, that this is, this is less dark, uh, is that he had policy ideas in the speech. One was, was baby bonuses, which is like babies. It's like a Cory Booker thing. Uh, and, and he, and he also repeated, you know, we're not going to cut Social Security and Medicare. You know, there there has and this has been sort of was a, a Steve Bannon project. We're going to orient the Republican Party away from uh, narrow, limited government, low taxes kind of uh, libertarian philosophy towards something more populist that is not afraid of spending money if it's going to go to our people. Uh, And is this, can can Trump pull it off? Is is it actually uh, useful for Trump to try to meld the the darker uh, retribution argument with a policy? Or do do enough people actually care about the policy stuff? for that to really work and to paint DeSantis as, oh, this, he's one of those Reagan Republicans. 
what are those regular Disney? He's not gonna do anything for you. Uh, he's 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 like he's gonna. He says he's anti woke, but he's too trapped in these old school uh, budget cutting philosophies to actually do anything for you. Is 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 that smart on Trump's part? Yes, I think so. I um, think it's a smart move. But you but you you like DeSantis' speech at the Reagan Library, right? What I saw, I did. I mean, he put out this video this sort of montage video of his speech and what I saw, I liked. And, uh, but you know, I, I think all you'll see me every once in a while tweet, I would vote for this Ron DeSantis. <laughs> and that was the uh, Ron DeSantis I would, I would vote for, but there's another Ron DeSantis also, <laughs> right. Running around doing things that I don't like and, and that I'm, that make me nervous. Um, it does seem like as the race stands, Trump has the edge. I think the tide has turned, at least for me, toward Trump. I mean, um, I have like, you know, my friend Jamie Weinstein has always said, you know, he's been saying the whole time, Trump's going to win. It's not going to be close. Like, get get with, you know, he's been making that argument the whole time. And, you know, a few months ago, I think I was thinking DeSantis, actually, if I had to bet, it would be that DeSantis would win. I think you're right, Bill. It feels like the tide has turned. And now I think the smart money is on uh, Trump versus Biden again. Um, so now, that's we had, Larry, we had Larry Hogan drop out. And of course, we can all yeah. make the joke about you know, who, who was, was going to win anyway. You know, this isn't even news, yada, yada, yada. Um, but he did say in the announcement that he didn't want to have a pile up that made it harder to stop Trump. Uh, and I don't know if that means he's willing to get behind DeSantis as, as the main alternative to Trump, or if he's trying to like clear a path for Chris Sununu, who was sort of tr running, is potentially running in a similar vein, or if he likes Nikki Haley, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there, it, it's not going to be possible, I think, to uh, artificially narrow the race to two immediately. Uh but he seemed to, I mean, and I'm sure Larry Hogan was recognizing, I, I'm not raising any money here. I'm not pulling beyond 0%. This might be a huge waste of my personal time. So it, it, he sounds very magnanimous, but also might be like, I'm clearly going to lose here and I'm going to waste everybody's time, so I'm not going to bother. Uh, but does that signal an appetite amongst establishment types to do more work than, 20, than in 2016 to stop Trump? Yeah, I think it's a good sign. Um, I think that uh, I think that Hogan is someone who is uh, thoughtful and, and cares, and I take it as a good sign that Republicans are at least cognizant of the dangers of running vanity campaigns that are not even meant to win election, but are meant to get attention or Fox News host spots or even to be the running mate. I mean, I think that that if nothing else, Republicans are cognizant of the fact that, you know, Donald Trump can has 25 percent of of the base of the Republican Party, like locked in. Um, if, if he shoots someone on Fifth Avenue, they'll vote for him. And so he could win with a plurality if if there's a lot of candidates splitting their votes. And so I think Hogan um Look, it might have been nice to see him on stage in a debate, taking it to Trump. Um, but 
uh, I think he did sort of the responsible thing. To, to, to circle back to the broader primary race, I, th- I mean, I, I, let's all stipulate we're all, it's all very early. We're all kind of flying blind, you know, poll numbers shouldn't be treated as gospel at this point. There's a lot of fuzziness still and softness in people's perception of things. So, uh, don't take this to mean something you know definitive for me, but it seems like Trump is still holding on to 35, 40% of the Republican electorate. Uh, and if you, if you test Trump and DeSantis in a two way, DeSantis can win those, but we're not in a two way. We're not going to be in a two way right away. You know, DeSantis might think I just got to outlast Nikki Haley and Tim Scott or Pompeo or Chris or whoever, because I'm number two and, and I'll, I'll have more money. Uh, so I'll just wait them out. And once they drop off, I will pick up their votes because they will take me over Trump. And I think he should worry that it's not going to be that simple. Because at the point when some of the ulcerants might drop off after Iowa and New Hampshire, there's enough people out there who who like both Trump and DeSantis. And if Trump is in first place, people might jump off the DeSantis bandwagon onto Trump's. Mm-hmm. So I don't think DeSantis can assume his people are so firm that they'll 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 wait along with him. For the uh, for the the third, fourth, fifth place candidates to drop, he needs to find a way to take votes from Trump early. <laughs> Maybe not really not this week, but like I don't think he can wait around to just consolidate the rest because his. I think for one because I think one Trump's appeal might be durable that DeSantis can't hold on to what he has that that where there's overlap, and two. It may be that people who like Haley or Sununu or Pompeo or Scott or whoever can't abide by DeSantis at the end of the day. There's, there's enough about him that's controversial that they'll they'll refrain from jumping onto that bandwagon. So uh, I think DeSantis obviously starts the race in relatively good shape compared to other non-Trump candidates. Uh, but he's got to figure out how to take the fight to Trump, which is not yeah. an easy thing to strategize. Yeah, I feel like we're going to know about once DeSantis gets in within a month, I think we'll know. Right. Um, I mean, we're not going to know definitively, but it's either going to take off or it's not in the polls. Um, and that will tell us a lot. So, you know, what do you think by 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 uh, Labor Day or something? We should definitely have a pretty good handle on like, is Trump going to just walk away with this again? Or is DeSantis going to give him a run? Well, so, it's, it's so hard to gain this out because, you know, for, you know, typically you'd say, well, it's early, it's early, it's early. People aren't paying attention. Things can change just because you're ahead in, in the summers. I mean, you're going to be ahead, you know, in January or February. Uh, and that is sometimes true and sometimes not true. Sometimes the, someone that sometimes the front runner all the way through. And sometimes there's a lot of volatility and late breaking things happen. And, you know, you know, people, people, you know, past Republican primaries, you'd have these boomlets. You'd have a Ben Carson boomlet or a Herman Cain boomlet or a Michelle Bachman boomlet. Uh, 
and they wouldn't be able to, Mike Huckabee, they would, they'd, they'd have their moment in the sun and they couldn't stand the scrutiny and they'd fade away. Um, now you have a figure in Donald Trump who is a very known commodity. Uh, and the race is on. He is campaigning. He is attacking his opponents. It's not as it's intense as it is going to get, but it's not a non-existent campaign right now. Uh, and I, I think the first debates are scheduled uh, July or August, the, the RNC debates. So, yeah. So, I don't know if they have, are the dates official or is it just we're going to do one in July? I don't know how firm it is. I haven't paid attention closely enough. Uh, but it is typical that, we, that we've been having debates, you know, in the summer, uh, in the year before, you know, yeah. Iowa, New Hampshire. Uh, so I would expect that to occur. Uh, and, you know, so once the, those have happened and you, you're getting into the Labor Day, you know, things might be kind of gelling at that point. I'm not, I'm not saying that means like whoever's ahead of September, like it's all over. Uh, but I, I just think if you're DeSantis or anybody else, you can't tell yourself, I'm just going to wait till December really, you know, lay into him. Yeah. Because no. uh, yeah, things could solidify. Like, I feel like labor, like by Labor Day, I will have a sense for, uh, is DeSantis going to have a legit shot at this or not? But um, but you don't have to wait till then to tune in. Please keep checking us out each week as we will <laughs> clearly change our minds. And I do have to make one correction, Bill. I think I said Trump has 25 percent of the Republican base. As you pointed out, it's like 35 percent. Um, not insurmountable. Depending, depending on the poll, you know. But but it seems to be about 35 percent that is his floor. Um, so it's not insurmountable, but that's, you know. I don't think you could peel those people off. So it's, it's, he starts off with that. Um, you know, uh, it's going to be super interesting, um, to watch. And I would love to get excited about Ron DeSantis. Uh, and there's a side of him, like I said, that, that is exciting. And, um, but there are other things that obviously bother me that he has done and said. <laughs> so I'm hoping more, good Ron DeSantis, (laughs) or maybe he could be bad Ron DeSantis just long enough to beat Trump and then go straight. Uh, and, uh, what, that's, that's, that's the hope of, of the Reagan Republican that when you see these articles about how DeSantis was more of a traditional conservative when he was in Congress, maybe that's the real Ron DeSantis. Maybe that will, maybe that will come out. Our best hope. Our best hope is that he's lying now. (laughs) (laughs) He's a phony now. (laughs) Um, but and there's still nobody you know below that too. There's there's no second tier Republican that you really love right now. No, I, I can't love any of these people anymore, Bill. My my, you know, the last time I was. By the way, the worst thing you can do is is uh, is, is drink the Kool Aid for one of these candidates. I mean, you know, I really liked Newt, even though I knew he was flawed. Uh, I really liked Rick Perry. Um, probably drank the Kool-Aid too much from Marco and it's a bad look. If, when I look back, I have to say this, I write three columns a week, uh, Bill. So I write, I don't know, I'm not good at math, a lot of columns a year. So over the last six or seven, over the last 10 years, I've written thousands of columns. And when I look back and I'm, if I mean to somebody, I almost never regret it. 
they almost always prove me like being mean to them and criticizing them almost always ages well. <laughs> what doesn't age well is saying nice things about people <laughs> in this business. I regret the fawning uh, Marco pieces. Those are pathetic. Um, it's not going to happen. So, so, again. so, you, so that, that's unfortunate because now you're 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 gun shy to fawn over somebody. Now you don't you don't you don't want to go all in for Wakanda at this at this stage. Um, I'm trying to think of of the movie Almost Famous, uh, uh, the phone call to the Rolling Stone uh, former Rolling Stone reporter. Um, but the, you know, they'll never love you back, Bill. Um, all, basically, you know, and I think I've just become jaded. My wife, you know, is a Republican political consultant and I've been doing this for a long time and I've pretty much learned that all politicians are bad. <laughs> Some are worse than others. Um, I, you know, I, I hold Reagan up on a certain pedestal. And I think he was very special, but by and large, I mean, even a conservative. I actually just read the H.W. Brands uh, Reagan book for my presidential book club. I mean, plenty of compromising, plenty of you know, splitting, splitting the difference with with Democrats. There's obviously the whole Iran Contra business. Like, I mean, you can still love Reagan and say, hey, yeah, he won the Cold War, or what have you. But like, yeah. you can't objectively say like he was like untouchable and and and, and pure every step of the way. No, I mean, we're all humans and everyone's flawed. But I think that my rule basically is politicians are all egomaniacs. Um, and I don't I don't like them. Um, and, uh, you know, I think some of like, I've you know, Larry Hogan, I commend him for the job he did in Maryland. Uh, I'm sure there's some flaws as well. But by and large, he's someone that I respect. But um, uh, you know, you, you you know what's what's the scene? I'm trying to think of the name of the of the Rolling Stone uh, music reporter that uh, Cameron Crowe calls in that movie. He's he's in an he's in an REM song. Uh, you know, the Leonard Brechtniff, Lenny Bruce, and Lester Bangs. That's it. <laughs> Lester Bangs, that guy. <laughs> Sorry we had to go through that together. But if you if you could pull that up, the phone call that, that Cameron Crowe's character has with Lester Bangs, uh, because he's basically being seduced by these rock stars who are, you know, taking him under their wing. And Lester Bangs is like, you know, what's the quote from uh uh the old California poll where he, I'll, I'll clean it up, but he says, if you, if you can't drink their booze, sleep with their women, take their money and still vote against them tomorrow, you're in the wrong business kid. I mean, that's basically <laughs> like you can, you can like these politicians, but, but uh, they're not, they're not your friend. Well, one last question. So, you know, we talked about Haley and Pence a fair amount. People that seem to be running, uh, Look like Pompeo, Sununu, and Tim Scott. I'm I'm, I'm not convinced about Youngkin, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Maybe you would, but I, I don't. I'm, I'm not seeing him do a lot right now. Um, it's a strategy, Bill. Could be, could be. Um, between Pompeo, Scott, and Sununu, is there one there? Do you feel like you got a little bit of hope for? Um, between those three, yeah, I think Tim Scott. I like Tim Scott. Uh, 
you know, and uh, I mean, I know I just said I hate all politicians. But I like <laughs> Tim Scott. He's hard not to like. I, and I, I've uh, talked to him, heard him speak many times. He's inspiring, uplifting. It would be amazing to have, um, you know, I don't know if he has, I'm not saying he doesn't. I, I just don't know if he has the killer instinct he, he will need and if he has the um, the sort of wonky chops that he might need. Um, not that not that Donald Trump has them, but man, um, I like the optimism. I like the inspiration, and it would be very refreshing to have I mean, to have a I, president like that. I kind of see him flinching from actually running for those for those reasons, but he he's yeah. doing things that you would do yeah. to prepare you for see, a run. He's the kind of candidate that a younger, uh, more naive Matt Lewis would have fallen in love with, <laughs> gone you know all in. Uh, and that's not going to happen now because 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 uh, I mean, Trump, Trump has basically tarnished um, so many, whether, you know, in different ways. So maybe you have fearless heart, man. A fearless heart just comes back for more. Uh, well, you know, I do this for the readers, Bill, and the listeners out there. Uh, I don't do it for the politicians. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's end it there. Anything you got to plug, Matt? Uh, check out the podcast, Matt Lewis and the news. Um, read me at the daily beast. I think that's, Oh, follow us on Twitter at DMZ show. Uh, I do have a piece at the Washington monthly that went up uh, yesterday about Joe Biden and fracking, uh, where I make the case that he has broken his pledge, uh, to, uh, uh, stop new, uh, permits on, on frack natural gas. And that's actually a good thing because it is helping Europe, uh, resist uh, Russia and uh, it is natural gas is serving as a bridge fuel as intended to reduce coal consumption while allowing renewable energies to ramp up in a relatively smooth uh, transition. Obviously, uh, a, a case that everybody's going to want to embrace, but uh, but but, I like it. But, I'm but, with but, you. but check it out. I'm with you on that. Frack, yes, let's do it. Um, and so by the, the way, I I praised. Uh, your president, Joe Biden, my president too, I guess. I praised him for standing up to the D.C. City Council who wanted to pass this soft on crime bill, um, which the mayor of Washington, D.C. opposed. But it, but I think it passed. She, she, she vetoed it and she was overridden. Uh, yeah, they overrode her veto 12 to 1, something like that. It was it was uh, it was really bad. It would have. DC's got a crime problem right now, pretty bad, and it would have lowered penalties for all sorts of things, including carjacking. <laughs> and so, kudos to Joe Biden. I gave, I give him, I've criticized him a lot. I give him credit for a mini sister soldier moment, and I think it's good politics. I think it's the right thing to do, and I'm not falling in love with that guy either. Now, the city council's already backed down. Yeah, so they're going to should. Republicans twist the knife and pass the resolution anyway, since they've already won the argument. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just glad it's not going to pass. I mean, Washington, D.C. has has gotten really bad. And you can understand why Democrats don't. This is the first time a president has intervened in like 38 years or something like that, because you can understand why Democrats, why a Democratic president would not want to like override the city government, right? Because Democrats ostensibly believe in statehood for Washington, D.C. and in home rule. And Biden basically said, 
well, that's I'm for uh, for statehood, but this is horrible. We mm. can't we can't be soft on crime. Coming on the heels of Lori Lightfoot's loss in Chicago, uh, the mayor who was was who lost reelection what last week, mm-hmm. uh, clearly the right political move for Joe Biden, and I think the right thing to do. Although I do think we need to be a little careful. And I mean, like, I, I, I think you're right that Biden did the politically wise thing, despite the upset it caused on the left, because Democrats can't be pegged as soft on crime. It's very um, damaging. Uh, you know, Lori Lightfoot is an interesting case study because, you know, she, she wasn't being she wasn't abolished the police. Uh and she was trying to argue that they, she was a police reformer, but she still was taking crime seriously and that crime was coming down after it peaked earlier. Uh, and the two people that made the runoff, you have Paul Vallis, who was running as, as being backed by the Fraternal Order of Police and trying to have tough on crime. And Brandon Johnson, who's more from the left uh, and essentially wants to redirect resources away from the police. He's trying to frame it better. He's not saying defund the police, he's saying let's be tough and smart and put more money into mental health uh, services so police can focus on violent crime. That's the way he's framing it. But he's coming in more left than Lori Lightfoot was. And we don't know who's going to win that race here, though. I just saw one poll. I don't know how good a poll it was. that had Vallis leading, but with a lot of, with a big undecided contingent. So it's still, jury's still out how what Chicago voters want. Yeah. Um, but I do still agree with the larger point that it was not been good for Biden to defend reduction of carjacking penalties, even though, I mean, the argument from the the left has been, well, they're reducing it from 40 years to 24. It's still a pretty bad sentence. Yes, but since there is a current carjacking problem in D.C., it's not the best time to reduce that. Yeah, and nobody's going to get 40 years. I mean, you know, you say 40, they get 20, that kind of thing. But, dude, a couple years ago, when it was just starting to get bad in D.C. again, uh, not as bad as it is now. Like my driver, while I was on CNN, my driver thwarted a carjacking attempt. And when I came out of the studio, there were like three police cars there with sirens going, interviewing him. So, I mean, that's anecdotal, mm-hmm. but the data, <laughs> this DC crime is very problematic, very serious. And the idea of softening penalties for crimes at this moment is insane. Even if you put aside the moral component, politically, it's absurd. And so um, kudos to Biden. I've been encouraging Biden for a long time to do this kind of stuff. He did it. Good for him. It's the third year of a Democratic presidency, and that's when this stuff happens. So <laughs> <laughs> they finally start listening. I'm guessing he must be uh, watching our videos. He must. He must All right. Um, this next week, we'll have budget stuff to talk about because Biden's budget's coming out. So we'll see if there's any is there any triangulation there. Early signs say no, but we'll see. Can't wait for that discussion, Bill. I'll let you take the lead on that one. <laughs> All right. Till next week. See you back here in the DMZ. Take care.